They weren't happy that there was a church preaching an uncompromised, non-philosophized, I don't know if that's a word, but it sounds good for the message, gospel. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. God answers prayers, folks. Now, let me, before you think about it, well, that's because pastor prayed. God doesn't listen to me any more than he listens to you. He listens to a pure heart. He listens to a heart that's right with him. And that's all he wants, okay? And God said, if you will ask he will respond, he will answer, and he will do as we ask in accordance to his will for your life. I was looking at today and, and looking at this, this hour that we live and, and thinking about what would be a great sermon to end this, this month. We were on a four-week journey. We started March 26th, and we traveled for four weeks on a journey that I called the Journey of Easter. And, uh, you know, we, we looked at, and, and, and Bev and, and Pastor Ray and Sarah did an incredible job in all the presentation. All of the uh, actors, actresses, the people that got involved, we like to just call them ministers. They brought it all to life. And so I looked at it and thought, okay, God, what would be a good? And, and I was praying the other day and, and uh, just trying to put my, my thoughts around this, my heart around this, my head around this. And all of a sudden it popped in my head. What has happened since Easter? What has happened since Easter? Now I'm not talking about two Sundays ago. I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. What has happened can I tell you today, in the stats, there are less Christians, Christians that believe in the message of Easter than before. Christians. There's less Christians that believe in the virgin birth than ever before. Christians. There's less Christians that believe and the foundational doctrines that we base our entire Christian experience on. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if the virgin birth isn't true, if the death, burial, resurrection of Christ isn't true, if the fact that he ascended unto heaven and is going to return isn't true, let's close up this book and go home. Because we're just having a we're just having a gathering. Eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. Okay, we come worm food. What's happened since Easter? All of those things have. Today, what I want to do is I want to take you into God's word. The fact is, we just finished recognizing the greatest victory known to Christianity. What is that victory? That victory is the victory over death and hell. It is the day that the world calls Easter. You and I call it Resurrection Sunday. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. He is appearing to John the Revelator. I, I like to give tidbits of, of understanding of God's Word as we go. Uh, the book of Revelation, what it literally means, it is the revelation of God's plan to the Apostle John. It was not John's revelation. John experienced it. And it was revealed to him. But the Bible says, as you read the very first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And John received this revelation. Well, in the book, he has a supernatural experience with Jesus. And that's where the book of Revelation comes from. He is outcast on an isle. It's called Patmos. It was a prison camp. And he was there because they tried to kill him three times and they couldn't kill him. One of the times they tried to boil him in oil. My goodness. Years ago when I first got saved, the thought hit me. Well, how do you kill love? Because that's what that disciple was called, the beloved. He was the one who Jesus loved. He was the one whose head rested on his breast at the Last Supper. He was the one that brought Peter into Caiaphas' court. He always referred to himself in the third party. Why? And I think it's interesting as you read the Scriptures and you read John speaking about himself, whether it's, first, whether it's John, the book of John, whether it's first, second, or third John, or whether it's the book of Revelation, it's always in third party. You know why? He understood his message was about the king and not himself. Jesus shows up to John here in Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. He said, I died. But look, I am alive. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Can somebody get excited? I am alive forever and ever and ever. <coughs> and then I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Give me some keys. Who's got some keys in their pocket? Thank you. And Jesus said, I have the keys. You know where he got the keys? The Bible says he descended into hell. He descended into the lower parts of the earth, the bowels of the earth. If you catch our radio program on uh, it's on uh, 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 CAF Radio at 6.40 in the morning. It's on Radio Shine, uh, Arizona Shine, they call it now, at 6.45 in the morning. And last week I finished speaking on hell. And one of the things that the Bible says that hell is a real place, and it's in the depths of the earth. It is where the Bible says it is. Well, I listen to this preacher later for this preacher. What does the Word of God say? I would say later for that preacher if I said it. If it's contrary to God's Word, who's right? Three of you said the right answer. If I say it contrary to God's Word, who's right? Good. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And he said, I got the keys. And you know what he did with those keys? He said, Pastor Philemon, I give them to you. Go. Into all the world. He said, I got the keys. And he said, Carol. What are you going to do with them? He said, I am the one that was dead. And I'm alive. And Tim, I'm going to give you the keys. What are you going to do with them? All power in heaven and earth has been given to him. And you know what he said, Donnie? I'm giving that power to you. You know what he said? I got the keys of death and hell. Who wants the victory, Bob? God said, I gave you the keys. I gave them to you. I gave them to you. 
He said, I am he that was dead. Ladies and gentlemen, what has happened since Easter? The world has beaten on the door so much against the resurrection, against the virgin birth, against that the church has began to believe it and they're trying to become relevant with society so they just put all of that aside. I hold the keys of death and the grave. Well, when you go into the original language, that word grave is also translated Hades or hell, the place of the departed souls, those that die without Christ. Though we look at Resurrection Sunday, Easter is the greatest victory. The world look at it as Jesus' greatest defeat and demise. Why? This, the physical mind, the carnal mind cannot understand spiritual things. That's what the book of Romans tells us. Can I tell you, as a pastor, as a man of God, there's sometimes I'm reading God's word, and I know I'm the only one in here, but I'm reading God's word, and I'm saying, I don't get it. Anybody besides me like that? And you know what? Just because I don't get it doesn't mean it ain't right. Now, I know it ain't, ain't good English, but it's good preaching. Somebody say amen. Just because I don't got it figured out. Don't got it? How's it? Where's, where's Lee at? How am I doing, Lee? Am I butchering this really good this morning? <laughs> Lee is our, one of our English teachers in the church. Yeah, she just, yeah, yeah. She just sits back and shakes her head and said, oh, oh, God, help that feeble-minded preacher of ours. But just because I don't get it doesn't mean it's not right. It's not normal for a virgin to give birth. And just in case you wondered, no, she was not at a virgin after she gave birth. She had sons and daughters after Jesus. One immaculate conception, and that was Jesus. The rest were all natural. The present world, bless you. You know what they propagate? A Jesus that doesn't really, didn't really know that he was the son of God. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean? How many have seen the movie that's working around right now, The Young Jesus? It's a news TV series. And in there, it's like Jesus figures it out over time, what he's supposed to do. There's another one that very big was called Killing Jesus. And in that, it was a historical perspective but the divine, the spiritual wasn't really there. Folks, it's hard for the carnal to understand the spiritual. What has happened since Easter? The church, the Christian church, has a lot of ways taken a carnal perspective. Compromised, watered down. The very facts. I'm amazed that these movies and many depictions, even the Bible series. Most of us watched the Bible series that Roma Downey and her husband put out. Great depiction. But even in that, I watched the story of Jesus, and it was like Jesus was figuring it out along the way. Let me tell you what my Bible teaches. The world teaches that somehow Jesus at times didn't know whom he was or why he was here. But let me tell you what my Bible teaches. How many are okay to see what the Bible teaches? What has happened since Easter? Folks, in the day and hour we live, they are trying to, to neuter down. They are trying to, to calm down this whole fact that it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Well, you know, preacher, if you want to reach them, you got to change a couple things. Folks, I ain't going to hell for nobody. I'm answering for this stuff. Let's go into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. It's in your notes so you can follow along. As you're finding Luke 2, I want to read a poem that I wrote. I wrote this poem in 1989. And I, I actually shared this poem one Christmas a few years ago. And 
And I want to share it this morning because Jesus really did know who he was and why he was here. The poem goes like this. In a manger, a stable of livestock and hay, the Savior, the Christ, was there born and lay. His eyes filled with tears of a secret unknown told by the prophets in the world, not yet shown. A promise, a future, a hope through his blood, spoke by the Father and his Son through his love. The tears, as they fell, told a secret that day of a time for mankind with all sins washed away. No more pain, no more sorrow for the tears that would fall in a manger in a stable. A baby's eyes saw a vision of suffering, a vision of pain, a vision of heartbreak, a vision of shame, a vision through eyes once filled with tears of mankind's sorrow and grief through the years, a vision of hope for mankind once lost in baby's tears at Christmas. His eyes saw the cross. Jesus was born knowing why he was here. We don't read much of his life until after 12 years old. And then there's another time that we don't read much. But I want to take you into Luke 2 this morning. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, say that with me, when Jesus was 12 years old. Folks, you know most 12-year-olds, they kind of just don't have a clue. Especially if you're a boy. Don't get mad at me, guys. I is one, so I know. So sometimes I'm almost 60, and sometimes I still don't know if I know what I'm doing. <laughs> if you're new here this morning, that was my wife. Sadly, the rest of you wives missed a great place to shout amen. <clears throat> Jesus was 12 years old, and he attended the festival, listen to this, as usual. He went to the festival every year. Let's drop down to verse 46. Three days later, they had, you know, they had a great entourage with them. And the Bible says all of them were headed back to Bethlehem or, uh, and they were going back to the place they were living. And, and, uh, as they got back home, they looked around, they counted heads and, okay, I, I, I see James. I see Jude. I see the other. Yeah, I see the sisters. Does anybody know where Jesus is? Well, Mary and Joseph went back into Jerusalem, and they frantically searched for three days, and they finally discovered him. Where was Jesus? Twelve years old. Most 12 years old are playing tiddlywinks. Most 12-year-olds are doing whatever. Where is Jesus? The Bible says they found him at the temple. Sitting with the religious leaders. I mean, even if I was at the temple at 12 years old, I would be looking for the kids. Where's the next game? But where was Jesus? Does this sound like something that didn't, someone that didn't have a clue why they were here? Sitting with the religious leaders, listening to them. Twelve-year-old, asking questions. And all who heard them were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Twelve years old. Does it sound like someone who didn't quite know what he was doing. Now his parents didn't know what to think. Carnal mind, spiritual mind. Son, his mother asked, why have you done this to us? Now you got to give credit to Mary. She's a little frantic, looking for the boy. Where is he? He's only 12 years old. Your father and I have been frantic. Searching for you everywhere. And look at Jesus' simple response. Why did you search? 
didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? It says in my father's house, but when you look up the word house, it is my father's business. Twelve years old. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. You have everybody and their brother casting doubt on who this Jesus is and who this Jesus was and what this Christian faith could stand for. It's just another religion. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a religion. It's a relationship with the one who was dead and is now alive and is alive forevermore. And look what the Bible says. They didn't understand what he meant. They didn't understand what he meant. They returned to Nazareth with him. I said Bethlehem earlier, sorry. That's where he's born, lived in Nazareth. Returned to Nazareth with him. And look at this, and I want you to underline these words. He is the Savior of the world, and he knew it. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he knew it. He is the hope, the redemption. But look what he says here. He was obedient to his earthly parents. Look look at me. I don't care how spiritual you become. God's authority still rules supreme. We submit to those who are in rule over us. The Bible says his mother stored these things. And then it says these words, And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and people. Quickly this morning, our faith, and I want you to hear this without equivocation, our faith is based on facts, not presumptions. Your faith and mine, we didn't, we didn't conjure this up. We didn't think about this. We didn't come up with this. Ladies and gentlemen, this was established before the foundation of the world and is fulfilled, as we will see this morning, in the person of Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. You see, the secular world, what has happened since Easter? The secular world continues to do everything it can to discredit Jesus, to discredit the disciples, to discredit the Bible. Over and over and over, they're seeking of any any tidbit of fallacy or fantasy or duplicity for the sole purpose of undermining credibility, but they can't find it. Do you know what's happening literally every day? Just like the Word of God says, as the Lord's return is closer and closer, they're finding record after record after record that the Bible is true. This Wednesday night, we just finished up our series in our Wednesday night Bible study, our Bible class on prayer. We, we uh, were on that and had an awesome time. Well, I asked the people as we were finishing up on Wednesday because they gave me a litmus of things. They said, Pastor, can you teach this? Can you teach this? And can I tell you something? I can teach anything. If it's in God's Word, I can teach it. You say, Pastor, do you know all the answers? Nope. I just know where to find them all. Okay? So they asked me, Pastor, can you bring us up to date on what's happening in the world? And so this Wednesday night, we're going to start talking about the end times. We're going to start talking about what is going on in the world. So uh, I may bring it into Sunday morning, uh, but right now I'm just going to do it on Wednesday night. Okay? So if you have questions, stuff that you're reading in the newspaper, stuff that you're reading in the Bible, bring it. Bring it. I promise you. We'll have the answer because God would have every answer. Can somebody say amen? amen? The world has questioned God's plan from the beginning. Even so, much so that in one of their presumptions, one of their fallacies, one of their presentations is they say, well, God's original plan failed. You know, the Jews couldn't get it together. God's original plan failed. And Jesus was kind of a backup plan. No, the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation, the Bible teaches all the way from Genesis that Jesus was crucified since the foundation of the world. It wasn't something that was just put together. See, the truth, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus did not go to Jerusalem on that 
fateful day as a feeble victim. He went there conquering, victorious, in full control of his circumstances. When he stood before Pontius Pilate on that day, he looked at him in the face and he said, you could have no power over me at all except the power my father has given you. Pontius said, I got the power to crucify you or set you free. And Jesus made that response. Jesus was not a feeble victim that day. He was a conquering force walking in there. And I tell you what, he he wasn't worried about Caiaphas. He wasn't worried about Pilate. He wasn't worried about Herod. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, he had hell on his mind. And he said, death and hell, I'm dealing with you once and for all. And then he said these words, it is finished. Oh. But what's happened since Easter is many of us, and I shun to say maybe even in this room, have calmed that down a little bit. Preacher, just keep control of yourself. Folks, I am very much in control of myself. Jesus always knew what was ahead. Luke 9, look what it says. At the time, as the time drew for him to ascend to heaven, what's it say? Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, ladies and gentlemen, his journey and objective were not happenstance, not against his will. They were fully set in his Father's will, which was with which Jesus would let nothing or no one stop him for his course. If we take back to the presentations that we had when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Peter took Malchus's sword and sliced off the soldier's ear and Jesus picked it up and put it back, he said, he said Peter, Don't you understand that I have to do what I'm doing? In another place, Peter was coming up and says, Peter, he loved the Lord, but he he was too much in the flesh at times, too carnal at times. And he said, Lord, you're not going to die. And what did Jesus said? Satan, get behind me. You don't even know what you're talking about. He said, Jesus called Peter Satan? No, he called the one behind him the one that was lying to him, the one that Peter was listening to, the same one that's lying to a lot of the church today. He said, you don't understand the things of God. This is why I'm here. I didn't come to live. I came to die that you could live. Could somebody get excited in the house of God this morning? See, Jesus knew there was no other way that we could be forgiven of our sins. He knew there was no other way that we could come back into right relationship with the Father. So he went to the cross. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Still, the world trying to remove their guilt try to delegitimize Christ. Though it has not and it will not work, it has accomplished much discouragement in much of Christianity. That's why we've got so many different religions in the world, church. Christian religions. Can I tell you something? God did not create denominations. Man did. Jesus died for the church. And then when he went to Ephesus, when he went to the various cities, he didn't go to First Baptist Church of Ephesus or the United Methodist Church of Ephesus. Ephesus or to the Calvary Church of Ephesus, or to Victorious Life of Ephesus. You know where he went to? The church of Ephesus. The church. I've met with the pastors in Flagstaff. I said, folks, you want to see Flagstaff one for Jesus Christ? 
Let's get rid of all the names and let's just become the church of Flagstaff. Sounds easy, but you get a bunch of hairy-legged preachers together and, you know, it's just makes it a little more difficult. Still, the world is trying to discredit. But our faith is not based on conjecture, speculation, or aspiration. It's not based on a feeling. It is based on facts. Let me give you some of those facts that were presented in the days after Easter, Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it's in your notes. Until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit, listen to this, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the disciples from time to time. For 40 days, Jesus was popping up everywhere, proving to them he was actually alive. He said, touch my nails, Prince, touch the scar on my side. Hey, you guys got some fish? I like it. Let's have some dinner. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, people think, you know, there's some kind of hallucination. This is some of the things the secular world uh, presents. Well, they were seeing things, you know, because they were, they were in this state of, uh, of uh, rejection and mourning and stuff. And, and it, it plays tricks on your mind, you know. First Corinthians 15 says, I passed on to you the most important thing, Paul writing here, that I've received. And he said, what is that? That Christ died for our sins. And I want you to underline these words. As the scriptures said, he was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. As the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter. We're talking about after the death, burial, and resurrection. He was seen by Peter, and then he was seen by the 12. And after that, at one time, look at your notes there, more than 500 people. Ladies and gentlemen, it don't sound like hallucinogenics to me. 500 people saw him at one time. And when these were being recorded here in 1 Corinthians, look what it says of them. Most of them are still alive right now. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. I always thought it was interesting. James was not a Christian. James was one of the Lord's brothers, just like Jude. You know when they became Christians? After the resurrection. After the resurrection, his own brothers. Oh, you know, Jesus, he's kind of like that. He, you know, you gotta, he's got to, after he rose from the dead, my Lord and my God. Folks, our life is based on facts. Now, it's not in your notes, but let me give you some scripture that was fulfilled on that day. Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 12, Hosea chapter 6, Job chapter 14, Job chapter 19, Psalm chapter 2, chapter 22, chapter 110. And I just stopped writing because there's so many scriptures. Listen to what it says. Jesus died for your sins as the scriptures recorded. He rose from the dead as the scriptures said. Let me repeat this, ladies and gentlemen. Christianity is not a feel-good belief system that asks whether we accept a, a misguided fairy tale. It is, it is based on reliable, documented evidence of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, thereby justifying every claim, every promise. And you and I, yes, we take this by faith because the Word of God says so. But our belief is based on facts. And it's not just the Bible. It's the historians. 
It's the books of antiquity that they're finding everywhere. Did you know up until 20 years ago, the only place they found the the name King David was in this book? You know, since 20 years ago, they find King David everywhere, written on the scrolls of thousands of years ago. Up until just about 12 years ago, they did not believe that the walls of Jericho fell down. But they found archaeological proof. Not that they just fell down, but like the Bible says, they didn't fall that way. They didn't fall this way. They went down flat. And it's just like God, when the, when the children of Israel were marching around, all of a sudden they started praising and worshiping. Can I tell you, you want to torment the devil in the midst of your darkness, just start singing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Start rejoicing and it'll shut the devil up. You know what God will do? He'll reach down out of heaven and just like the walls of Jericho, they might have been big, but God's hand is bigger, just like Pastor Philemon said. And he go, blah, and they went flat down. Y'all better watch it. I might get excited this morning. What has happened since Easter? I'm going to make a hard statement here. I'm trying to, Hensley. I'm trying to. John chapter 20. I want you to hear me, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, there's stuff in this book I don't understand. There's stuff in this book I think I understand. But there's a lot in this book I just can't misunderstand. And the Word of God tells us in John chapter 20, you believe because you've seen. More blessed are those who believe who have never seen. Folks, we have to take God at His Word. I don't care what your philosophy professor tells you. I don't care what your aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. My goodness, I'd sit down with some of my family's friends and I'm thinking, Lord, do something with these people. They want to talk about aliens. They want to talk about all these other life on planets. And I'm <laughs> More blessed are those that believe that have never seen. You see, faith is the conduit of our life. As I shared earlier, throughout the centuries, there are those who have suggested that Jesus never rose from the grave. Some have said it was a hoax. Others said the disciples were hallucinating. Folks, 500 saw him at one time. All the disciples saw him repeatedly. The book of Luke uses this word, seen. In, I'm not. I'm sorry. The book of Luke. Luke, the physician who wrote the book of Luke, in the book of Acts, says the word they'd seen Jesus. They'd seen Jesus. He presented himself alive after many infallible proofs in many ways. That word "seen" in the scripture could have literally been translated eyeballed as they actually physically saw him with their own eyes. They eyeballed the risen Lord. What has happened since Easter? Well, 2,000 years ago, they saw Jesus the one who died, the one who rose again. Another translation, another way that word could better have been translated than just seen is they saw him with their eyes wide open. It wasn't an hallucination. It wasn't a figment of imagination or a longing heart. It was viable. It was infallible. It was proof right in front of them. Can somebody say amen? And he didn't appear just once or twice. Folks, he was popping up everywhere. He was like that find them old thing, you know, popping up everywhere. He was just all over the place. And then 500 people saw him at one time. Folks, that's fact. That's evidence. 
say, well, Pastor, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to. Well, f- folks, listen, if it was a hoax, don't you think that at least one of the disciples would have broke ranks? But it said every single one of them died a martyr's death, except for John. On the Isle of Patmos, he died. You know why he didn't die a martyr's death? We needed the book of Revelation. Can somebody say amen? See, Jesus was alive. They eyeballed it. They saw him over and over and over for 40 days. It transformed their lives. They saw him with their own eyes. Why not break ranks? There's nothing to break for. It was a fact what they saw. Can somebody say amen? And you know what God did with those? The same thing he can do with us. If we'll really believe what we really believe is really real, we can go change the world. You can't change the world if your world isn't changed already. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Offend them. I would rather offend you into heaven than pacify you into hell. The second thing, quickly. Because of this, lives were changed and the world was affected. Because of this. Because as a fact, he rose from the dead. Lives were changed and the world was affected. You would think... With all the excitement of the miracle of the resurrection, the whole world would have rejoiced and got on board. But the fact of this blessed hope, instead of it being a motivator for all, not so much. Can I tell you something? And I want you to look at me. I want you to eyeball me for a second here. You know why? Because of everything we preach is really real, we got to give account for our lives. We have to give account for our lives. We can't just live the life that we want. Folks, can I tell you something? I was making a lot of money before I got saved. And if I would have kept doing what I was doing, I might have gotten pretty popular. I was already popular. But I might have gotten even more popular. But God interrupted my life. He interrupted my... And you know, he said, that life I gave you, Carol, it ain't for you. It's for me. What about what I want? Let's talk about that. Remember Jesus... I'm sure he was looking forward to those nails driving through us. I'm sure he's looking forward to that whip ripping his body apart. Not so much, folks. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was doing. And he said, Father, it ain't about me. It's about you. And because you love them. See, ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to have a nice life. God wants us to have stuff. God wants us to do things. But he don't want you to include him in your life. He wants you to make him your life. And when you make him your life, then he will bless all those things that you're doing. If not, some of those things may fall apart. Am I making any sense today? Acts chapter 17, look what this says. The Jews were not so persuaded. They were not happy. The passage is talking about people are getting saved all over the place. 
Jesus has been showing up after the resurrection. Lives are being transformed. Lives are being changed. They've been radicalized. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. I don't remember who it was. I think it was, might have been Pastor Philemon. might have been somebody else. It said, you know, uh, people look at me and they say, I'm kind of radical. How many would think your pastor's a little radical? How many are okay with that? But can I tell you, when I read the Bible, I'm normal. According to the Scripture, I'm a normal dude. I'm not radical. According to the Bible, I'm just acting like a Christian. Because there is no other hope. Look at this. The Jews who didn't believe, those that didn't become Christian, were not so persuaded. So much so, they gathered a mob to cause an uproar, and they attacked attacked the house of Jason. Why? Because they thought that's where all the disciples were. Well, the disciples were somebody else, but they sought to bring the disciples out to the people so that they could cause great bodily harm. You say, well, pastor, it doesn't say to cause great bodily harm. Well, the last time I read the words, they dragged Jason and the people out to the rulers of the city. Dragging somebody doesn't sound like a fun trip. And they were crying out these words. They that have turned the world upside down have come here too. They weren't happy that there was a church preaching an uncompromised, non-philosophized, I don't know if that's a word, but it sounds good for the message, gospel. Many in town weren't so excited about the gospel They didn't want to be affected by this. They wanted the church to focus on more important things like climate change, like poverty, like other philanthropic issues. God forbid you'd focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, even though the Word of God says that's what we're supposed to focus on. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the disciples were more interested in a different kind of warming than the global warming or the climate change that affected those who hadn't or wouldn't here. They were interested in people feeling the warming of hell and didn't want them to wind up in that place. The first century church, hear this, it's in your notes, impacted the world through prayer and preaching, not philanthropy and philosophy. The scripture record, they turned the world upside down. But understand those who said that, it was not a compliment. It was a criticism. But the problem is the last century church doesn't receive that criticism anymore. The opposite seems to be happening in the church. G. Campbell Morgan said, today's church has a double standard, a standard of moral compromise with little power. And then he went on to say, organized Christianity, which fails to make a disturbance, is dead. Ladies and gentlemen, if Victorious Life is not making a disturbance in Flagstaff, let's just put the headstone up now. We need to make a difference. I'm afraid that the church today hardly makes a commotion, let alone turn the world upside down. We are so worried. Please listen to me. I had Bob put it on the screen because I want you to hear this. We are so worried about fitting in, about relating, about being cool, that we have forgotten what it means to make a stand for what is true. I think instead of the church turning the world upside down, the world has turned the church upside down since Easter. Am I making any sense at all today, ladies and gentlemen? Vance Havner, an apologist of years gone by, said, we're not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of the lives who have been changed by the Spirit of God. This is why we need to get back to what the early church experienced on the day of Pentecost. 
because they turned the world upside down. Folks, this crazy, topsy-turvy world that we live in is a world that now calls right-wrong and wrong-right. Let me begin to wrap this up in the next few minutes, if I could. We must return to Christian vigilance and get away from secular relevance. Folks, let me, let me talk to you. I, I, I wouldn't want to be a young person living today. You've got so much peer pressure. You know, in, in school, if you don't say things the right way, if you don't do things the right way, and you don't fit in, now you become an outcast. And nobody wants to be an outcast. I couldn't imagine being in college these days. Folks, I've been through all that stuff. But these these days, they're so, it's so critical to be relevant. So critical it is to be relevant that they just want to throw this book away. You don't listen to a 6,000-year-old book or a 5,000-year-old book or a 4,000-year-old book or a 3,000-year-old or a 2,000-year-old book. <coughs> You're looking to listen to relevance. You can't fit in with all that archaic preaching. Well, let me share with you folks. I have been ministering for quite a few years now. I have watched generations come and go. I'm part of the boomer generation. After me came the buster generation. Some of you called it Generation X. Then we had the Generation Y. Why? That's the millennials, Generation Y. Everybody born since 1980 is part of the millennials, up to 96. And then we're in the current generation, Generation Z. I wonder if they call it Z because they really expect it to be the last generation. Folks, if I look at the world, I say, yeah. But I've, I've been pastoring a long time. And I've pastored and still do pastor all of these generations. And I'm not sure exactly when... But somehow or another, relevance has taken the place of vigilance. Relevance. I got to fit in. They take that passage in, in 1 Corinthians out of context, be all things to all people. They do it so much to where they put the gospel away and say, hey, I'll just let them see my love. And when the people live in sin, they love the sin along with the sinner. Folks, this is not what God tells us to do. God tells us that we have to remain vigilant because if they don't see that in us, if they just accept, see us accepting status quo, then we'll never long, no longer affect change. When fitting in takes the place of leading on, then we become part of the problem. Why? Because they think the church is supposed to have the solution. John 14, 6. What has happened since Easter? You know what's happened since Easter? Much of the church has accepted that there's many ways to heaven. Much of the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. In John 14... Jesus made a very profound in-your-face statement. You know what that statement was? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. What has happened since Easter? The church has become more apathetic and apologetic then it has become evangelistic. More complacent than vigilant. More worldly than godly. Now, I pray that I'm not talking about our church. I believe our church has some incredibly mature Christians in it. People that really live the life that Jesus called us to live. 
You say, well, Pastor, then why do you preach this message that we could look in the mirror and say, what has happened in my life since Easter? See, one thing that hasn't changed, ladies and gentlemen, over all of my years of preaching is my emphasis on teaching the Bible and preaching the gospel. That can never, will never, has never, because it can't change. Why? The Bible says, say that with me. The Bible says, say it like you mean it. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To believe means we cling to, we rely upon, and we trust in. We don't believe just as a, just as a, as a, uh, uh, that I uh, accede this. We believe means our life has changed. The gospel is under attack like never before as the worship team comes. I understand that the church has always had disagreements and differences. But ladies and gentlemen, what I'm talking about is life and death. The fact of only one way to heaven and cultural relevance has become a debate among a growing number of people who call themselves Christian. And I want you to hear, relevance can be dangerous as spiritual priorities become more and more spurious. In light of the resurrection, the disciples had one priority, and that was to get the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. There was no more relevant and pertinent message to proclaim. Today, there is a new church that is sweeping Christianity. And it's called the Emergent Church. And it literally is getting, if I named the names of the churches that consider themselves the Emergent Church, it would startle you. It is gaining such momentum especially among those who have been raised in an evangelical church who want to be real, who want something that's authentic. Folks, my generation wanted that. Yet the reality of being real is not the most important thing. Being right with God is the most important thing. I can be real all day long and wind up in hell. I want to be right with God. Can somebody say amen? It's time, ladies and gentlemen, once again, that we get our priorities straight and get back to the true message. When you walk around, stand tall as a Christian. Don't don't compromise. Don't listen to people try to shut you down because your faith is based on facts. Not feelings, not emotions, not circumstance. It is based on the fact that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again and lives forevermore. Folks, I'm all for being modern day. I'm all for being contemporary. And I'm all for being relevant. But at the same time, I am committed to the fact that far beyond relevance and fitting in, we must be truthful, accurate, and most importantly, we got to be biblical. We stand or fall because of God's Word. Paul said, is Christ in me? That's the hope of glory. What's happened since Easter? The world hasn't gotten closer. It's gotten further away and it's trying to drag the church along with it. I want to say just a couple things. And please just give me a couple more minutes. I am so saddened by what I've seen in the church world today. I'm so saddened by what I read 
in the church world today. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. The way I look at stuff and come on Wednesday night. You're going to hear things. You're going to understand things. Because, folks, I'm going to take it out of here. All I'm going to do is I'm going to bring God's Word into the newspapers. I'm going to bring God's Word into the, into the, the news programs. That's all I'm going to do. The Bible says that in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves. Haughty, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, rebellious, disobedient to parents, mocking authority. And you know the part that scares me is the last part of that passage there in 2 Timothy. It says they'll have a form of godliness but they'll deny God's power folks that's the hour we live and as your pastor I love you too much to preach anything different oh I could I could preach a wonderful philosophy of the gospel or I can preach about the philanthropy you know the philanthropic ways of doing things that, that we need to, you know, be more uh, this, that, or the other thing. But ladies and gentlemen, if they don't see the only hope that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, what have you done that was any good? What have I done that's any good? Except for a changed life. What has happened since Easter? Much of the church is forgotten. But Jesus said, Go make disciples. And we can't make what we aren't. I want to take a moment and open these altars. I just really sense the Spirit of God in this place. There's just a, a sweetness of God's love. God's not here condemning or judging or, 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 or trying to do anything other than to draw us closer to Him. Maybe you're struggling with trying to be relevant, trying to fit in. trying to make sure everybody likes you even though they don't like your Christianity. Folks, that's a struggle. And I'm sad to say, according to the Word of God, it's going to get worse. And it's not going to get better. So I wonder, just for a moment, if we open these altars, and maybe that's you, Say, Pastor, I don't want people to think bad about me. They're not going to think bad about you. They're going to think good. This is a person who wants to do right, wants to live for God, wants to make a difference. And maybe you're like me. I, I, I don't try to fit in. I know some of you say, amen. But I still have that struggle. When I go hang out with a bunch of pastors and, and I want to talk about reaching the world and reaching this and that and the other thing and, and they want to talk about their next baseball game or they want to talk about some football team or they want to talk about this that and folks that's not wrong but folks that's not why I'm here that's not my, my wife and I that's not why we're here It's His amazing grace How sweet is that sound It was that that saved This wretched man that I am I once was lost 
But I preach, I live, I do, I am what I am because now I'm found. Once I was blind, but ladies and gentlemen, I've eyeballed the king. I see very well. Maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe you don't know Jesus. And today you need to know him. I just ask you to come. Find a place of this altar. Say, Lord, as for me and my house, we're going to look for you. Starting today, regardless of yesterday. God, I'm going to live for you. God, we thank you. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.